Support for NPR and the following message come from PBS, presenting The Facebook Dilemma, a frontline investigation into Facebook's impact on privacy and democracy that asks whether it's uniting or dividing us. Tune in or stream starting Monday at 9 Eastern on PBS. I'm Bob Boylan with All Songs Considered. One of the most surprising records of this year is by the 1975. My preconceptions about their pop-leaning music and how I categorize them in my brain turned out to be so wrong. Their current album is called I Like It When You Sleep, For You Are So Beautiful, Yet So Unaware of It. And it's filled with influences from ambient music, R&B, electronica, and the 80s. I wanted to talk to Matty Healy about his influences. He's someone who I'd met back a few years ago when he performed a fascinating solo Tiny Desk concert. So on this edition of All Songs Considered, Matty Healy plays DJ. His parents are both British actors, and we start by talking about the music they played around the house and in the car. And just a footnote here, we also talk about musician Leon Russell, and this conversation happened just a few days before Leon Russell died. The first song I learned to play properly would have been House the Rising Sun by the Animals. <laughs> but my dad's from the northeast, from Newcastle, so that was part of that whole thing. White Shade of Pale, uh, one of the first songs I learned. But um, my dad was very soul, so it was Wilson Pickett, Otis Redding, all that kind of thing. Are your parents boomers? Um, or yeah. just classic rock? Well, I don't know. My mum is very kind of into like disco and Donna Summer and that kind of thing. She was very, uh, uh, all that kind of late 70s kind of sound. My dad has always been the kind of the same that I have. It's always been about conviction. And I think that he found that in black music a lot more, you know, like mm-hmm. soul and, and, and blues and stuff like that. He would always be about like, listen to this, listen to this voice. I remember like where, whether it be, you know, Percy Sledge, you know, When a Man Loves a Woman or the, the, the conviction in Otis Redding. I remember my dad being like, you know, getting excited about that and me thinking alright let's play an Otis song what do you want to hear um, let's do Hard to Handle great baby here I am I'm a man on the scene I can give you what you want but you got to go home with me I got some good old love and then I got in store. When I get through throwing it on you, you got to come back for more. Boys and things will come by the dozen. That ain't nothing but drugs don't love it. Pretty little thing, let me light your count, cause mama, I'm sure hard to hell and now. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> so, I always loved the fascination that, like, for me growing up, it was my love for British music. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And then for so many of the Brits, their love was always for American music. It's not that I didn't like Otis, no. right? But there is that attraction. It's almost, I, I describe it almost as exotic music, well, that's, right? It's the whole thing. Grass is always greener, right? I think what's a good example for, for that of my generation is something like Kings of Leon. Okay. I remember, and I know this sounds very, very off topic, but when Kings of Leon, I remember seeing them at Brixton Academy on like their second album, mm. and they said, it's so good to be home. And this is in London. And it made me kind of research the way that I'd realized that America didn't take to Kings Leon in the way that the UK did, because you've got country music. Yeah. Country music is enormous over here. You know, Garth Brooks is the biggest selling artist of all time. So when we got the Kings of Leon, they were like these kind of indie cowboys. Whereas in America, they were kind of too close to cowboys for anybody to really <laughs> care. So yeah, there is always that, um, there's a desirability for stuff that's just, you know, Otis Redding 
you know, doesn't come from Birmingham. And you can hear that, you know. And, you know, the Stones don't come from Alabama or, you know, the, the right. Who, you know, you can... Though so they wouldn't mind. Yeah, they exactly. Would they, they wouldn't have minded. <laughs> that was probably a bad example. <laughs> um, but, you know, or whether it be anything that's particularly anglified, you know, it's always going to appeal. But authenticity maybe is what your dad was pointing mm-hmm. out when he said, listen to this. Yeah, right? that's why I picked up on soul music so much. Because, yeah, for him, I think as uh, being an actor as well, conviction and and believability believing in something it was kind of paramount for him yeah whether it be you know Roberta Flack or or any of the Donny Hathaway I mean Donny Hathaway is the ultimate one for me because there's the romance of the you know the 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 mental illness and there's so much of that that kind of he seemed to be exercising it would seem a real catharsis for him singing and when you listen to that, it can be really, obviously, really powerful. We can play Donnie if you want. It wasn't oh. on your list, but do you want to... Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we have it. to if we've spoken about it. Yeah. Let's, do, let's do a song for you. That's what I, I was thinking. Yeah. Places in my life and time I've sung a lot of songs I've made some bad ones I've acted out my life in stages With 10,000 people watching But we're alone now and I'm singing the song to you I know your image of me is what I hope to be I treated you unkindly But darling, can't you see There's no one more important to me We're alone now And I'm singing the song to you It's in another world, then. Indeed. I, Leon Russell did a r- lovely version of that song, too. That's the, the original that, that he wrote. Not my favorite. It's funny when you go back and you see that covers... When you find a cover that's kind of, I don't know, to be honest, better than the original. Songs that sometimes you give to other people and it's almost like that it was kind of designed for them. Do you know what I mean? That song in particular, a song for you, after you tour for years, I've been on tour for like four or five years, kind of on and off pretty much, and the lyrics in that song really resonate, because you know? What, which part? The, well, you've got, I've acted out my on, life on stages oh, with 10,000 people watching and <clears throat> now we're alone and I'm singing a song for you. Uh-huh. I would never do that because I'm English and <laughs> we would be kind of cringeworthy. But, but, um, but yeah, so it's a powerful song. That. Uh, how about if I play something of yours?
a theremin like sound that's going on there? It's, is um, it? it's as close as we could get to a theremin without actually figuring out how to use one. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just really... like a pitch follower It or was, something? yeah. I don't, I don't know. You'd have to ask George exactly what it was. George is the my right-hand man, or he, he, he would call me his right-hand man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other, the, the drummer and the producer yeah. of the band. So um, we write everything together. That, I, I can't tell you. For me, I think it was called that one, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how songs come together? Yeah, you to- just work and work off each other. Yeah, and- definitely. It's um, it's it's normally down to kind of both of our obsession with music, with other artists' music, and then kind of really in-depth, maybe over analytical conversations about one part of one song. Because <laughs> you're British, exactly. <laughs> and then we'll um, that'll turn into an obsession about one sound, which will then inspire. It, you know, it's all accidents. It's like that brilliant. Eno thing where he says, you know, inspiration doesn't come looking for you. It's not the, you can't just sit there and expect something to happen. It's like, you know, an hour and a half after playing with the same sound when you move the module a tiny bit and then that, oh, that's interesting. Oh, there you go. And then you go, you know, it doesn't come looking for you. So that's what we, we, we're quite um, thankful about the amount of time that we have on tour because we kind of record every day. So you're on the road and you're somehow yeah. finding time to record? Well, you say sometime, somehow finding time. I mean, I'm doing this today. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're a very fortunate part in our career at the moment where we can kind of do stuff that we want to do. So it's not really like promo-y stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the time, you know, if I get to the venue at 11 o'clock, I'm on stage at 7. That's just a lot of smoking and coffee. So I might as well be <laughs> making another record. So what do you carry with you? What We've you- got a, we, it's, Well, the, first, the, the last two albums were pretty much made on laptops and then taken into studios and... Mm-hmm what you call, uh, you know, uh, fluffed up, like made sound a bit better. (laughs) So all we need is a laptop and literally these Genelec monitors, we've got exactly the same as you've got in here. They're beautiful. Because it's the creative process and the recording process for us is one in the same. So we try not to let it get too sonic based. You know, we could sit there and try and mix a record, but that's not what we do. We just get loads of creative ideas down and then eventually address it and try and make something out of it. That's good. I'm going to play something that when it came up randomly... Uh, on a drive home. What I do oftentimes is, oh, this looks like an interesting record. I put a bunch of stuff in a playlist and I drive. And and this song came on. Mm. I thought, oh, I don't remember putting in anything like this. Mm. So, you know, I kind of remember the bands I put in my playlist. Yep. Who is this? <laughs> it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play a little of this. This is, uh, I like it when you sleep for you're so beautiful yet so unaware.
for those who don't know this piece of music, I'm just going to scoot down toward the end here because, yeah. like, random. But. There you go, there's the drop. Did I just miss it? No, that's, that sounds good. It's very UK for me. When I listen to this, that's like the, the UK. That's how, what I hear. You, when you say that, you're talking about walking down the streets yeah, and feeling just, the vibe just, of the city. Yeah, and, and the kind of the influences there now. Like I can be a lot more objective about this record. You know, I was kind of in it and now I'm out of it. And I can hear what I was listening to there, the garage music and the streets. And that sample is an old, an old garage MC from London who died like 15 years ago that we used his voice on the record. And, it's just, it's, that's London for me, listening to that. I, I, I very rarely listen to the actual recordings and playing them live is very different, so it's quite nice to actually sit there and have those feelings come to you. Do you remember how this song, where you were when this song started to come together? It's pretty much, oh. all, pretty much oh. all George. Yeah. I think that we, um, we, we would, you know, me and George could never decide. One day we want to be in, in excess, the next day we want to be in Boards of Canada. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And each day we take that very, very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that... Um, this, this this will have just been a, a conversation about, oh God, who can I hear in there? You know, John Hopkins, Sigur Ross, people like that. Just wanting to make something that was kind of representative of where we were, and God knows where we were. Ah, oh. breaking my heart. You're breaking my <laughs> you heart. You want to be in this band too, oh, don't you? Oh, man, I want to be in every band. <laughs> Let's play a little of All My Friends, oh. LCD Sound System. We may get hypnotized, and we may not come back. I know.
there's no really place to fade this out. This is incest and wonderful. It's, it's just it keeps going and keeps getting bigger and more beautiful. It's so funny. It's so funny and so, you know, man, like that song, because that album will have come out when I was like 16, 15, yeah. something like that. And I remember hearing that song and thinking, okay, that's it. I. You mean I, you found? Yeah, I'd found my song. I'd found my forever song. I'd found the song that I knew was going to inform every single song that I ever did. Because this song for me, like, you know, we could get into a musical conversation where I talk about the technicalities of why I love it. The, the fact that it's two okay. notes, the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's never, it's, it, it, it does resolve. It resolves every couple of bars, but it always feels like a completely unresolved piece of music that's never, that's never going to end. It's like, you know, uh, Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel. It's got a fade out on it because you can't stop that beat going. And it's the same kind of thing with this. And this song, you know, it makes me think about life. It makes me think about death. It makes me think about friends, past and present. And, it, and it's kind of everything to me. And I have rinsed this song. In my career, <laughs> technically, emotionally, like it's kind of, uh, and, and I'll say that with a complete, you know, like with an unabashed freedom because it was, I realized that I needed, if I wanted to do it, it needed to be as good as this. It needed to be funny, it needed to be self aware, and it needed to be beautiful, and it needed to be, you know, a stat, you know, it needed to be culturally aware, and it needed to mean something. But it also worked as a piece of pop music in the way that great pieces of pop music do. Hang on, I need more. <laughs> <laughs> James Murphy, have you met James Murphy? I've never met James Murphy. So what are you waiting for? I know, I really <laughs> want to meet him. My hey James? Do you know James Murphy? Yeah, my okay, tour manager knows James Murphy. Right, I got a nod down. Exactly, we'll fix it up. But he seems like quite a... I don't know what I'd say. I met David Byrne once, yeah. and it was so anticlimactic. <laughs> I completely messed it up. I just dropped my sweets and said, oh, sorry. And he walked <laughs> off. Because <laughs> I was like, his dressing room was next to ours, and I was doing that thing of like, you know, hanging out by the door of the dressing room, which nobody does <laughs> unless you're trying to like bump into someone. <laughs> totally, uncasually trying to uh, bump into David Byrne. So um, I don't know how I'd be if I met James Murphy. I'd want to eloquently tell him, you know, you informed my heart and I love you and LCD is this but I'd probably yeah. just don't, mess it up don't do that don't do that yeah. just leave it no meet him but go and just have a conversation anything about him and don't, just don't talk about him and then it'll, it'll all happen yeah eventually. exactly we'll just try to, yeah yeah it's like this it's like I, I'm not asking you about 1975 exactly. I'm asking you about James Murphy and now I know a whole lot about you you're very That's your way. very good at your job yeah. <laughs> Now you have to figure out how to find out. Uh, so, what do you want music to do? I um, mean, now I, well, I, it needs to change the world. It's it, it's different oh. to what it was yesterday. So, for those who don't for know, those today, who don't, today today we're, is the day, morning we woke up to a, a new president elect. Yeah, and it's been, you know, we're talking about being English and stuff, being embarrassed being slightly self-aware i've made a career i've not made a career out of that but it's very much part of my identity so to to be quite forthright about certain things makes me quite self-conscious um politics is one of those things um because i feel 
like if I saw a young pop star, I'd be a bit like, what you what you you know about in your white suit? You don't know anything. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But but there's a part of me now that I feel like, I mean, what am I supposed to do? My band is now, you know, starting to become a very very big band, a very important band to lots of young people who have just felt directly, you know, really disenfranchised by this situation. And we're, we're talking England, about Brexit. We're talking You're about talking Brexit. About... We're talking about the Trump presidency. And if you look at, you know, the 18 to 25s that voted, we've got an entirely blue America. And the fact of the matter is, is that so my responsibility was always artistic and it was kind of to myself. But now I know that my next record is going to come out within the Trump, the Trump presidency, let's hope the only and the four years of it, but that's gonna happen. I think that now we have a generation that are far more engaged and what has happened is that we've got, the internet has exposed how different people are. So the, there's been a hardening of positions on both the right and the left. You know, people have gotten more left and more right. I think there's more of an expectancy for art to be more actively challenging what we see every day what will be interesting for me is to see how i incorporate that into the way that the 1975 works because the 1975 is kind of like my diary the, the the way that i become endearing or people get to know me is through kind of um oh i don't know it's it's a bit it's quite clever do you know what i mean I, i'm either really really frank or it's kind of conversational it's mm. not when it gets political it's still all about me so i don't know how i'd make a kind of a a, a record with a a punk lyrical ethos, and how do you, and does that punk ethos change people or just unite people? You're going to talk to your audience. Is your audience mm-hmm. very much similar to how you feel? And do they need to be convinced, or do they just need a pivot? Oh yeah, or something to totally yeah. They just need something to cling on to. I mean, I'm not you know. We talk about all of those things that young people are, are very interested in now. You know, kind of like social responsibility, uh, equality, sexuality, all those kind of things. You know, um, they're they're all in there within the music already. So the the people that we've the kids that we've drawn in are very very multicultural and and they find a real security in the way that the 1975 kind of stands for that kind of thing. So we very much stand against any kind of you know the promotion of any kind of inequality um so it's we are preaching to the choir to a certain extent well if we were to go on stage and you know start start saying what was wrong with everything but all we need to do is remind people that we are kind of united you know and it is right or are they united to within the system in other words it's one thing to like all identify in a certain way and to be in favor of a certain thing, but if you don't do that within the, let's say, the voting system, mm-hmm. as simple as something like that, yeah. the, the participatory part of the system, then what good does it do? You wind up with something that exactly. you don't believe in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, China just said, this is what happens when you let people have a democracy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I I think that it's, it's it, I don't know, it's because it, get, it all gets a bit idealistic, doesn't it? And it all gets a bit unrealistic well it gets preachy too yeah it gets a bit preachy and and that's another thing that we have problem with and the other thing is you talk about writing music and i've never seen you write music but it sounds like it just happens it just happens and then exactly you you really need to listen to this roger waters interview we did because there's so much in this is a mirror of that which is that we talk to him about he doesn't know ahead of time what he's going to write about john prine who he brings up who he loves Mm. didn't choose to write a song about old people it just was a part of the way he lived and it just poured out of him. Exactly. And so, so I guess it, making a song that has such a 
definitive purpose is so hard. Exactly, and 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 you know, being being creative in that way with an agenda, like the way that I, the way that, or I hope, or I assume people find me endearing, is because of how the, the the for example like the fragility that i lay out or the kind of like i'm quite self lacerating like that's the way that i endear people by kind of revealing parts of myself that aren't that good yeah. but with a certain amount of distaste so people are like oh i quite like that guy do you know what i mean and it's very difficult to do that kind of thing with a direct agenda we've got songs like loving someone for example which is very much it's this kind of free form just talking about the lack of empathy the kind of global lack of empathy really for the want of a better description but I suppose that's as kind of political as we get but all I was really doing was was talking about what what I see and what what I see the conversations are amongst our fans if uh, people haven't heard it play a little Waters interview. I was telling you, I was sure you mm. he maybe will hear. He he played. We talked about can songs make a difference? Can mm-hmm. can you know? For some, it was the uh, the wall, for, mm. right? For the Pink Floyd record, of the course. wall. For, for others, uh, for him, uh, one song he picked was "A Change Is Gonna Come" from Sam Cooke, a song that just was a uniting mm. point, a place to, to gather, a song mm-hmm. to gather around. Um, for you, did you have you had that in your life? Have you needed that in your life? And um, but that's the thing we spoke about the kind of need for that kind of thing when it comes to like p- it's specifically politically motivated music. I never really had a need for that. Being from a kind of comfortable white middle class mm-hmm. upbringing, music for me was a, it was a very very artistic pursuit, and I'd say a musical pursuit in the way that melody and structure and the mathematics of what made up the form 
is what excited me. And as I got older, I was like, wow, this is the most powerful cultural tool imaginable. Then obviously, you know, I d- listen to hip hop the yeah. clash and bad right, brains right. and you know or, or these days hip hop yeah or right. these days hip hop do you know what i mean like the like the kind of the only truly subversive music that we have left it's really really interesting yeah where it comes from and and, and what i picked up on and i think that i was i'm fortunate with is that i grew up it's not the other way round for me and i think that's good because a lot of people get really really involved in music because of the cultural element of it right. or they they get involved because you know, maybe the first musical thing that they've loved, like let's say is like The Clash or Bad Brains or something, and it sets them on a journey and then they may be, they may become kind of culturally influential artists, but it's still for me, it's the artists that are truly, truly musical and do that as well. But I mean, again, I say that and it's Sonic Youth are one of my favourite bands of all time and that's a difficult listen at the best of times, do you know what I mean? So, um, but music, I mean, I think music can change the world, like, there's cultural ideas that are kind of set in stone through music, right? It's an incredibly powerful tool and, and something that that is going to get really interesting now. It's going to get very active, the kind of the, the political side to music. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not been... Well, for, for some in, in, in this country, the, the music that has come out of hip-hop has been central because they're living it every day. Exactly. If you're living in a different life that exactly. is not a part of... Exactly. Well, I mean, you look at what's really interesting as well. It seems like like trap music, like what was called trap music, this kind of real weird breed of kind of lavish hip hop sensibilities of, you know, the whatever you may call it, the, the rims and the and the things that people talk about, all the commodities of being a big superstar, but also with this really DIY punk rock ethos of making records in you know, abandoned houses in Atlanta, do you know what I mean? But that's now become pop music in America, like Fetty Wap. They were like, oh yeah, that's great. I'll have that immediately. Do you know what I mean? Because it sounds, it sounds good. But that's what we're talking about, belief, isn't it? As soon as somebody, as soon as people find, because now it's that whole thing of like the rise of like the hipster and all of that kind of thing, or the way that we identify with that kind of thing. It's like, there's this desire for authenticity now. There always has been, but now there's this real, real desire for authenticity and I think as soon as a glimpse of that is seen it's immediately jumped upon and exposed and that's kind of what happened to that kind of and exploited well yeah kind of commercially exploited I mean you look at all of like every look at a -a Pret-a-Manger now and it's got a tungsten light bulb in it and it's a bare brick wall do you know what I mean like they've 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 they've, they've, you know the commercial side of things jumps onto things so quickly and it's also because what I find interesting now is cool that's what really interests me because being cool is just referencing things, right? It's just, and and it was harder to be cool 20 years ago because you had to have seen that movie or been at that show or done this kind of thing. And now because we all have a computer in our pockets and most of the time in our hands, we have the ability to reference at a million miles an hour. So our generation's first thought when we see something that we perceive as cool is to be suspicious of it and think mm, yeah. I'm not sure you know and, and, and everybody's got everybody else's number that's what I find at the moment which is interesting within music that was just a digression I like the digression <laughs> I, I, I'm going to think about it I'm going to play one more song I'll tell you what then yeah. let's play Michael Jackson Okay. because if we're talking about the the playlist that I picked was kind of like stuff that has informed me yeah. as like a musician. Yeah. And the end of this record is probably the most important moment of music to me ever because of the, the fragility real in it. Yeah, yeah, because he cries basically. And 
putting aside the fact that when I was a child, Michael Jackson for me was this kind of the, this pantheon of, of everything, the only person higher than than you know people. So I grew up being obsessed with Michael Jackson. I saw him live when I was seven years old. All these kind of obsessions. She's out of my life. Always stuck with me. It's a song by Tom Barler. Is that right, Tom? Yeah. H L E R. Tom Barler. Beautiful love song. It's just a great love song. But Michael Jackson for me is the most concise, well-delivered, packaged artist entity of all time. Everything that you got from Michael Jackson when I was a kid was like pre-packaged and sold an idea that he wanted you to have. So it was so clean cut and brilliant and everything was amazingly produced. Obviously the video, you know, I don't need to talk about the consistency of Michael Jackson, but the end of She's Out of My Life, she, he messes it up. Not more than, not just once. Not just once, <laughs> like a couple of times. Like he really can't do it. And I know that there's this famous argument of him going, oh no, I don't want to use it. And Quincy Jones saying we have to use it because this is going to be that moment. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't intellectualize it. I just thought I felt something. I went, ooh, when I heard it. And now as a grown-up, I've realized that that moment of fragility within within a lexicon, within a, within, within a whole world of stylized, you know, like my band, basically, all these stylized things, all of these aesthetic arms, all of these kind of things, but, but it's nothing without the kind of the truth or the fragility at the center of it. And I think I learned the majority of that from that moment in this song. Be well. Thanks for doing Thanks this. Thanks so much, Bob. Yeah, Lovely cheers. to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too. Maddie Healy of the 1975. Their 2016 release is called I Like It When You Sleep For You Are So Beautiful Yet So Unaware Of It. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. She's out of my life She's out of my I don't know whether to laugh or cry I don't know whether to live or die And it cuts like a knife She's out of my
indecision and cursed pride. I kept my love for her locked deep inside, and it cuts like a Support for this podcast and the following message come from Internet Essentials from Comcast. Connecting more than 6 million low-income people to low-cost, high-speed Internet at home. So students are ready for homework, class, graduation, and more. Now they're ready for anything. 